So, what was I going to talk to you about? Oh, one, I have, oh, this is an important question for you. Because, like, things have changed. I don't know if you've noticed. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was wondering how your coffee from home is going. Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. Because, what? Well, let me just set this up. Can I just set this up? Because yeah. last last time I think we had a serious conversation about this, You your whole, like, premise was that, like, I can walk out the door and there's, like, 15 good coffee shops within, like, a stone's throw. <laughs> right? Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Like, you're having your moment... And I'm like, okay, now what? (laughs) Oh, my God. I am so sick of pressing on the AeroPress. Like, I have done (laughs) extensive research on is there a lever mechanism? Like, can I do anything differently? Like, I've, like, adapted my – like, I had bruises on my arm from – I would kind of like push down with my forearm and like get my body weight. And that was causing bruises. So then I started putting a pot holder there and like cushioning as I pushed. And then I realized I can kind of use my elbow and like put it in the hole. Like, so I like put a pot holder and then use my elbow. Like, but it's just like, I'm, it's like an ab workout every time. Cause it's not just like, oh, put your weight. It's like, you have to really push if you're doing espresso. I think you might be grinding the coffee too fine. You think so? Yeah, AeroPress is not really supposed to be like at espresso level fineness. But that's okay. But what I heard was that you want to do espresso, like if you want an espresso shot, you need to do it finer because the pressure, like the pressure you generate pushing is good. Like that's part of what is extracting the coffee. Yeah. So, or extracting the caffeine, I should say. I guess, yeah, I guess you make different. Yeah, you make a different drink than I do because I just make a, a coffee. Yeah. 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 Like if you're making, if you're just doing this, like, you know, normal Americano or not even American. If you're doing like a, I don't know, a normal coffee, what would you call that? Because it's not a drip. Well, actually, we've never discussed our recipes for the AeroPress, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, mine might be totally wrong. Like, I don't. But if it works for you, then it's fine, right? Yeah, it works. And I have, I will say that I want it to happen fast enough that I agree with you that like the flare or any of these other methods, I'm just like, no, I need this to just happen. In fact, I was starting to think about getting out the mocha pot thing and oh. like trying that because I wouldn't have to press down. <laughs> I right, was like, like, you have the solution here, Hillary. Fire it up again. But then that takes effort to like learn how to do right, you know. How many of these do you have a day? Two. Okay. Yeah. I have one in the morning and then one like mid after, like early afternoon. The problem is that I always, it's like three minutes before a meeting and I'm right. like, oh shoot, I need coffee. <laughs> and so then I'm like rushing to get it done in time. And Yeah. No, I'm so sick. I'm, that's funny you asked that. Cause yeah, I had to, I have like a bean subscription. I had to like, I did like four X what I usually do. Yeah. Yeah. I have had to up the order a lot. And I was worried about supply chain. I was like, oh man, is like coffee ever going to, but so yeah, well deduced. Uh, It's been a little bit of a love hate situation. Yeah. There actually is a coffee shop open near me. Like one of the amazing coffee shops, but it's just not fun. Like I, yeah, I've thought about trying to go and they have the partition now and you see people like making an earnest effort to have like a normal Saturday morning with their little ritual coffee cups. Like, and I'm just like, it's just, 
It's not it's the not same. Fun. It's not the same. Yeah, it's not just like relaxing morning. It's like put on my hazmat, like like go. Yeah, it's like for something that's like I can easily make something comparable at home. You know, you're gonna end up with like tennis elbow or something like that. You know. Yeah. No, it's um, I've considered. I just can't. Oh, whatever. Maybe I. Maybe this should be my hobby. Is like finally get a real like espresso machine. <laughs> I mean, you've got the time to figure it out now, right? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's worth mastering the mocha pot first. Yeah, let me try that first. Because given could, that you already have it. Yeah, I already have it, and uh, I can at least give it an honest effort. I think I did make one more time. Someone suggested that I not put the water in hot. And I think that did actually help. So, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Which is counterintuitive to me. I don't get why. I don't, whatever. Yeah. I don't understand it fully. So. <laughs> oh, my. How about you? I mean, your coffee setup's probably, you're, every time you use it, you probably have a deep sigh of appreciation and you think, I'm so much better off than Hillary. <laughs> uh <laughs> I only think that I only think that once in a while, not every time. Okay, yeah, not every time. No, you get no because like, but that is compensated by the fact that just using one of these espresso machines is just like it's always stressful. It's always stressful. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I can like see you just that. never know if like today the coffee's not feeling it, and you know you know you're not getting enough pressure, or you're getting too much you know uh, flow or something like that. Like there's too many variables. Like you can't control them all. My issue, actually, now that I think about it, the biggest thing for me is that it's always like I've forgotten something. It's like, oh, I forgot to wet the filter. I forgot to, like, get my cup ready. There's, like, all these steps. And every time I'm, like, halfway through and I'm like, darn it, I didn't start heating up the milk. And I have to go and, like, get that. And it interrupts my flow. Like, yeah, I wish I could just, like, maybe that's what I need to focus on. It's just, like, ritual around, like, I always set my utensils in this way, <laughs> you know, so that I'm not, like, midstream frustrated. <laughs> I did have to rearrange the kitchen a little bit because I realized that, like, I do use make an AeroPress once in a while. And I realized that, like, all the different pieces that you need for the AeroPress were, like, all spread across the kitchen. You know, yeah. it was like the like the AeroPress was over here, and then the coffee was over here, and then the hot water's over here, and then like the stir thing is over like so I had to like totally could totally like move everything into one part of the kitchen. Well, I'll say that in my search for a lever, which someone did make at one point and there was like a Kickstarter and stuff, but then it does not appear to have ever been sold or something. But um someone on etsy there's actually a bunch of like aeropress like setup things where it's like a little stand with little holes for each of the things so yeah like, you have like a nice little you know pinterestable like arranged aeropress setup on your wall or something <laughs> <laughs> like so things can you put them away and it like dries and it's like this like heirloom wood quality i don't know it's <laughs> there's like things you can buy that will help you with the arrangement issue but and you're considering it i briefly did but <laughs> i already have like a whole dedicated coffee bar area so i need to just use that i'll check i'll check in on you in two weeks to see if you're still capable of moving your arm at least the pot holder helped the most, honestly. Like, I was just like, oh, wait a minute. I was like, I need a cushion. And then I, like, my pot holders were, like, literally hanging next to the coffee setup. And I was like, <laughs> oh, wait a minute. <laughs> this will work. But wait, so what's your re- – I mean, you just do a normal espresso pull, I guess. Like, you have the little tamper and stuff. And 
yeah i just so yeah so i just that part hasn't changed um we are ordering way more like i had to i was like why are we why do we keep running out of coffee i know <laughs> and i realized it's like we're both at home we're both having like two to three a day it's like oh yeah. yeah one bag only makes like 18 you know so no exactly i had the same experience where i was like gosh i ran out it's like oh right i usually i would buy coffee at work like every day and then i also would like buy coffee once to twice a week while I was home. So now all of that has to like come back to here. But right. yeah, I'm satisfied though with the quality. Like I do enjoy the coffee. Yeah. And do you do like the traditional way or do you do like the inverted way? Inverted. Inverted? Okay. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's easier. I don't know. I just, it to me, it just seems like I I can't stand the idea that there's water just dripping down into the cup. I know exactly. You know, it just it just it, it it affects some like OCD element of my personality. Yeah, so. I'm with you. I don't I don't like it. Keep it <laughs> inverted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Any other comments? So thanks. Yes, I actually thought about following up here with that, but it's 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 like it's like wearing me out i'm like worn down the joy of coffee is like getting sucked out of me slowly i'm just like yeah yeah uh, again (laughs) i think it's just hard like you know there's just no one to like take care of you you know it's like if you really need to get taken care of right now someone will take care of you but like if you don't really need it then like you're on your own (laughs) you're on your own yeah (laughs) yeah it's just like no all those things i mean that's not fair because like i really appreciate the food deliveries you know there's like there are people who are you know making my life better but it yeah (laughs) definitely the number of services i could pay for you know have gone down considerably yeah there is a limit at the end of the day yeah exactly all right what's your other (laughs) Did you have anything that you wanted to contribute? No. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about was this whole, have you seen this whole like COBOL programmer thing? Not really, but it sounds familiar. I think I, 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 think I saw it and like didn't dig in to whatever. <laughs> Is it okay if I do that? Oh, was it that it was like, if you wanted to help with something, you had to know COBOL. Like, okay, hold on a second. Yeah. Okay. So... After like, so Congress passed this like $2 trillion, you know, like relief bill, right? And part of that was like a contribution to the state, all the state like unemployment funds, right? So everyone gets like an extra $600 of unemployment, you know, if you file for unemployment. And of course, there's like, I think as of yesterday, there's like 26 million people, you know, filing for unemployment, which is like unprecedented. It's unprecedented by like two orders of magnitude, right? Yeah. So... Of course, like people are have to go to the unemployment office and file, and like the unemployment computer systems are all written in COBOL. It's because they're all they're all written in like the sixties and the seventies. So, oh my god! And you know they can't handle. <laughs> they, like, it, I don't even I don't know what the details are. Maybe it's like it can't handle a number over like a million or something like that or whatever. But um, oh it, they, they can't handle like this like huge influx, right? And so they but they can't they can't just like reprogram the system because there's nobody around who like remembers how to program in COBOL. Uh, I was thinking about how this experience, like all the companies that were like, we should really like move to this technical, like let's update our tech debt or, you know, like things, I mean, I'm in fashion, right? So like things that 
like fashion is so rife with things that could be I don't even want to say automated but like matured right and like online shopping you know it's it's like the companies that drug their feet, you know, and their boards were meeting. They're like, we should really do this. And, you know, but like there was never the urgency. Like right, right. people are getting completely screwed if they, you know, were dragging their feet on something right now. It's like weird. There's it's it's a very uh, survival of the fittest <laughs> company edition. Well, so I guess but I, here's the thing. <laughs> I, so like, OK, so are all these like systems that are run, that are you know, were originally written in COBOL, right? And have have been updated for many years, right? And so, and over that, so over the period of that time, like all the people who like learned, who knew how to program in COBOL, like retired or died, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's not like there was a new wave of COBOL programmers coming in because everyone decided to learn something else, right? Yeah. And I have to say, like I, IBM came out with this course. It's like it's like an online course to teach you how to write in COBOL. No, like just two to weeks ago. This? Oh my gosh! Yeah. And I like I looked at some of the material. I'm like, wow, this is a really weird programming language. <laughs> like I, I'm like, there's, I was like, oh, maybe I'll learn how to write some COBOL. No, there's no, there's no chance, right? So, oh my god. So here's my question for you. Yeah. Okay. So, where did the failure occur here? Okay. I can tell you exactly what happened, which is that every year their budget, they're probably like over budget and they're like can we make it another year before we like this is going to take a huge refactor and like oh it's going to be so much work like (laughs) what if you like who is saying we need to refactor this code probably the engineers what engineers (laughs) so there was literally no one i don't i don't know for a fact but my get i mean like the software was working I mean, well, yeah, I'm sure the people who work, who are, like, actually engineers, like, are screaming right now. Because it's just, like, you can't possibly expect to just, like, dump software somewhere and then, like, never maintain it. Like, it, that right, would be crazy. Right. Like, that's clearly what happened. Or or maybe it's not what happened, but, like, like at some point, someone was keeping, they are like, keeping the wheels on and that enabled it's like almost it's like codependent where like if there's someone like the system's dysfunctional it really needs to get an overhaul but then well okay we don't know that the system was i mean dysfunctional we don't i mean i i in my opinion like if people were getting their unemployment checks then the system worked right but it's the dysfunction would just be like you can't be running something with literally no way to maintain it or file bugs or whatever like i if if you have like a software, if your company or your like what I don't even like your service depends on software somewhere, and you literally have no plan for what to do if that software breaks, like that is dysfunctional. That's not good. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, so like if there was one person, if there were like one or two people at some point who were like, I can fix it. Like, don't worry, I I got you. Like that's actually worse than that person being like, I will not fix it. Like this. Yeah, I could patch this, but then next time I'm gonna have to patch it. And next time, and then I'm gonna die, and then you won't have anyone to patch it anymore. Like, it's that's like codependent, where it's like the there's like something that's kind of broken, and then someone who can feel like a hero for fixing it, and then both people are incentivized for things to just keep being broken because it's like, oh yeah, like 
Right. Like, it's easy. It makes me feel important. And they're like, oh, yeah, I don't have to do anything because this guy always fixes it. And then it's just like goes on forever <laughs> until something breaks. Yeah. So let's rewind the time. Let's go. Let's play out the counterfactual. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and we, we got to rewind this clock like pretty far. Right. So like maybe maybe even as far as like the 60s. Right. Yeah. And let's play it forward now. So now you've got this system, and it's probably like state of the art for its time, right? Mm-hmm. And it's written in COBOL, which is like a totally normal. It'd be like writing it in Python today or something, right? Yeah. You're writing stuff in Python now, right? Or people are writing stuff in Python now. Mm-hmm. Um, how do they prepare for the fact that Python will eventually there will be nobody around who knows how to program in Python? Well, you prepare by like staffing it with people who are continually updating the code base or like making it more efficient or like you have to have people who are identifying areas that will become technical debt, you know, like Python 3 comes out and it's like, oh, yeah, everyone's using Python, but all of a sudden we need to migrate to Python 3. So you need people whose like job. Yeah, I don't. But here's the difference, though. It's like Python. Let's imagine Python just like didn't stop just kind of like stabilized and didn't evolve you know like i don't know maybe like c now or something like that right mm-hmm. actually c is maybe a good example so c is like still evolving but only in increments and nobody really programs in c now like everyone has some like a couple of layers on top of it now right yeah um and so is but there's plenty of code out there written in c right uh so there's no like impetus to be like oh we gotta get to the next version of c I mean, okay, that's maybe not the best example, but like, I, I imagine at some point, COBOL was like it's stable. It's like there's no new version of COBOL, so there's no like impetus to like, well, we got to update all the code. So, what is the instigator of change? Like, or what you know, what at some point, this whole system had to be written, rewritten in a different language, not just like a new version of the same language, right? So, what instigates you to say, let's rewrite this whole thing in C plus plus? I mean, at some point, the fact that you can't hire anyone. Like it get it just it you have to have people anticipating problems that yeah. may or may not occur, and it's so hard to be that person. Yeah. Yeah, I guess the problem is like, what would be the sign that's like we can no longer hire anybody who knows how to program in COBOL? Like we, that's true now, right? But like, yeah. at what point did that become true? You know, it's like, you know, it's like I, it's, for me, it's hard to imagine that there would be never nobody who you know, like programs knows how to program in Python anymore, and like. Ha- how would you, at what point, I guess you could think of other languages now, like maybe like Fortran is a good example. Like, like there probably are, there are still people who program Fortran, right? Mm-hmm. But there's not like a huge number, right? Yeah. So I guess if I were maintaining a Fortran system right now, I might be start, I might start thinking it's time to like rewrite this, right? Well, at some point, I mean, and this is, people who are experienced managers or, you know, I don't think I, the authority to talk about this, but like, I mean, at some point you have to have this symbiosis of like people developing as humans and people developing software. You know what I mean? Like you can't like it's I mean, I guess I'm just answering what you're saying a different way. It was like eventually you can't get people excited to do the job unless it's like they get to develop a transferable skill set one way or another. And um, but I guess actually now that I'm thinking about it. I mean, I really find it hard to believe there wasn't a single bug in this software ever over the past however many years. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think at some point, though, if the bugs aren't fatal, yeah, right, then you just kind of work around them, right? But then, so then there's like, 
I guarantee that someone at some point complained about the system and was like, this system sucks to use. Like, I, like this is makes no sense. Or it's just so, it feels so old. And so, and then they just surely did not have the budget to surely, be like, yeah. let's update the usability. And so that's when you don't even have someone on staff who's like tending to the product at all, you know? And then everyone's just like holding their breath that it keeps together. And like every year, probably people are like, oh, I wish we could make this interface better. And it's like, eh, well, look at the budget. Like, can't quite make it. Let's wait till next year. That would involve like contracting with some like company that like could find programmers to like rewrite the system, right? Because for surely, surely the, the government agency doesn't have anyone on staff who can do it anymore at this point. I mean, it would be an interesting... Like, I know Etsy had this where they kept... It was like written in PHP and then they kept hiring people to come in and like let's totally change it and then and like like start from scratch and different language and it just never happened like it kept being like nah never mind we can't really do that so it remains in php with a lot of software the mindset is like well it's not like we're gonna be using this you know 10 years or 20 years from now right Mm -hmm. so i i can't think of i guess you know it's like so part of me wonders is it an anomaly that there's like a piece of software that has been in continuous use for 50 years. Yeah. Right. Yes. That's a little bit of a rare case, right? Yeah, very much. I assume. Yeah. I mean, I think it tends to happen more often in maybe like government and military applications that really like prize stability. Um, that's cr- that is just crazy. I mean, what would the UI even look like for this? <laughs> like, I-, I mean, I'm sure it's like some like console, like console based, like text field kind of thing. Right. I mean, you know, you, you've been to like the DMV or whatever. Like, it probably looks like some like like earlier version of whatever they have there. Right? But that always seems like '80s. You know, like yeah, this yeah. has been another twenty years before that. I mean, it just <laughs> boggles the mind. I I'd say like I haven't worked on a system that like that was that was written in COBOL. At least not that I'm aware of. But I have ri- worked with systems that are like super niche and like r- extremely poorly designed. Uh, they do the job, but really badly, and there's like nothing you can do about it. Like, I, so my only experience with this was like I worked in a box office for like a music festival. Uh, it's like a summer job, right? And I, you know, my job was to answer the phone. You know, people would order tickets. I punch it into the system, and it like you know, it it prints out the tickets basically, right? And that was like that wasn't even like a graphical user interface. That was like a console based like you know text fields and whatever, right? And every once in a while, like the thing would crash, and you'd be like, "Oh yeah, everyone knows that it crashes." So you just like reboot it, and it's fine, exactly. right? Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and, like everyone knows, right? Yeah. <laughs> and like, it would not shock me. It would shock me a little bit, but it not that much if they were still using that system today. Uh, the, the music festival is still around, <laughs> right? <laughs> this was back in like nineteen ninety. It would have been like ninety six or something like that. Like, I feel like in these niche applications, there's just, like, software that kind of, like, sails on through, and there's no one to come in and be like, we're going to create some new software, because, like, it's not really a big enough market, right? Yeah. And so, and so, like... Well, yeah, and, like, in this case, it's, like, a government contract for unemployment. Like, right. I, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I don't totally understand, because, like, there are companies that presumably, like, seem to make a lot of money with government contracts, so, like... There's money. <laughs> Those tax dollars are going somewhere. I feel like this is like exactly people who are like, we need to privatize all these government like things. Like this is like the example they'd be like, exactly. 
<laughs> but, but it's not clear to me where the money comes from. Like, like does it just appear somewhere? I mean, maybe. But the thing yeah. is, it's like the private system. I, I don't know. Honestly, like, it would help if I knew the details. But like, the private system. If a private company had developed it, or if anyone else had to develop it, they would have had to anticipate like a global pandemic where there were like 26 million people unemployed in the country, right? Like who would have who would have predicted that, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, didn't a lot of people actually predict that? Like like there's all the people with like the playbook for you know what to do with the pandemic that that's true yeah i guess administration just like tossed out the window so <laughs> i feel like maybe yes there was probably some guy in 1965 who was like this system doesn't work in a pandemic yeah right and they're like <laughs> and i um, warned you people we don't have the budget for that yeah i don't know the trade-offs aren't worth it I mean, I, you know, I just saw someone snarking about this on Twitter, and it was one of those things where I was like, "Oh, interesting." I guess some people don't like that, but like complaining about the like the like software as a service or I, one of the modern paradigms because now, like, presumably, the way that places have solved this now is that they they get like a proprietary tool that's like a a tool that can be applied to a lot of settings, and this is one of the settings it can be applied to. Um, like the ticket thing, there surely is a tool. Like someone out there has created software that they sell for, you know, ticket generation or whatever it is that they were yeah, doing. Yeah, it's yeah. It's just glorified database software is what it is. So Yeah. Whereas like, I guess with unemployment, it might be, so, but I imagine it's like not unlike payroll software to some degree or I don't know. Like it seems like you could convince some company that does... Well, no, maybe it really is like a different. No, I mean, surely this has been solved because it's not like every state has this problem, right? It was, it was yeah. only like a few, I think. And New Jersey oh. was one of them. So it wasn't like every, like surely other states have solved the problem for, and however, I don't know how, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So, I mean, I think you're right, obviously, but. Um, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> you're always, always right. Yeah. Case, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just like, I struggled to like, I, I like I kind of found humor in the situation, even though it's not that humorous. But like I struggled to figure out like where the fix, or, like where the intervention should have occurred exactly, and like at what time, you know? Yeah. Well, I feel I feel you because I'm. It really is easier to get people to dedicate resources, spend time, spend money, whatever, when there's a fire. Like when there's a fire, everyone's like, "Oh, this has to get done." But if you're like proactively trying to prevent the fire. It is so much harder to get people on board because they're just like, well, I don't know, like, is this really that? There's no fire. There's What's no the fire. big deal? Yeah, and so it's just like that to me is exactly. There's no way that wasn't what happened here. You know, it was like for sure. This is lurching along. Like that's fine. And um, I mean, there's part of me in my like career that's like, guess I should wait till there's fires, like, because <laughs> like, I'm just like, <laughs> this is too much work. It's too much work to anticipate a problem, like. And it's like kind of gutting because you anticipate it for so long that you're burned out by the time the problem happens. Then everyone's like, yeah, you anticipated the problem. It's like, I don't even care anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm just so burned out from you saying no for so long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like anyone who works in a, like, cause you can just tell these people, like there's anywhere there are people whose like eyes pop out when you suggest something that's going to introduce tech debt you know it's just like 
no, you can't do that. That could be a problem in these different scenarios. And like, you can see everyone else, like, like you can, there's just some, there's people who are like anticipate that stuff really well. And it's never easy for them <laughs> to like, to like, they lead difficult lives. Yeah. Cause it's just like, you're constantly like justifying, you know, you're constantly trying to convince people. Yeah. I, I'm speechless. I don't know. It's not, <laughs> I think that like good leader, like good CTOs, good leadership, like gets that. And then they know how to carve. I mean, I think that's what makes people good or not good, you know, leaders is like, oh, like this thing, we need to make it so that we work on things that aren't fires. And so like, I protect that time for this team to do that. Um, which was kind of what I was alluding to with like in, in, you know, in the business world right now, like anyone who is putting off moving online or like optimizing their warehouses or whatever is just getting screwed right now. Like it's, Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, like, yeah, maybe you couldn't have anticipated this, but like it was clear people like this accelerated a timeline and the people who were like looking out for this a long time ago, like kind of saw it coming and it di- this played out really differently. But but like the risk, of course, is that someone spends a ton of time and resources solving a problem that never ends up happening. So like it's not like there's good reasons to wait until you can kind of see the fire starting, you know? <laughs> Perhaps, yeah. I mean, like, but it's a little bit like saying, I don't need to buy health insurance. I'm healthy. Yeah, right? exactly. And, like, I mean, that's where you just have to, you have to figure out who is good at predicting what will actually be fires, you know. And that takes a lot of experience, I guess. And I don't know. Being good at your job, like, I don't really know. What's that like? I, yeah, I don't I, Who knows anymore, right? So believe it or not, this conver- I was this has like a this whole conversation has a point actually. Oh, what's that? <laughs> I, I mean, I may or may not get to it, but we'll see. So I, you went you mentioned software as a service. I thought you were going in a, but you went in a different direction. But I wanted to talk about the idea of like renting software, right? Mm. Hm. Because I think many people, or at least my age or older, I think, are like hate this idea, right? Like the. The cloud, everything, right? Oh, so like rent, you mean like, yeah, so like paying per whatever on AWS. Like you look at like, you know, Microsoft Office now, like you can't buy a Microsoft Office now, you just pay the service, right? Uh, and I think, you know, for certain, for, you know, up until a certain point, like you bought software, right? And you paid for it, it was, it was quote unquote yours, right? And you know, maybe you got some updates, but eventually you had to buy the new version, right? Yeah. Uh, but I actually think that that model is actually not as good for software. I, I think that model exists because it was the only thing you could do, right? They had to ship it on a CD or, or a disc or whatever. And there was only, it had to be, so it had to be like essentially printed at a certain time, right? Yeah. Um, but now with like the internet, it, it to me, it makes more sense to rent software because software's never really finished, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so... As long as like your continuous payments eventually you know get you get you something right, yeah. I mean you're kind of paying for future productivity, right? That's um, for me. That seems like financially that's a better model, right? Because yeah, if you're for example, if this unemployment you know software was quote unquote rented, right? Then they'd be like, okay, well we're paying these fees every year or whatever, right? Like what? What are we getting out of it, right? And like there'd be a continuous process to be like, okay, what improvements should there be, or you know, what upgrades are there, and you know, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. 
whereas like once they shipped it the software to the whatever state agency it's like okay we've got it it's ours we're just going to use it yeah yeah for sure well i don't like calling it renting even though i think you're right conceptually except for when you like with renting it's always like you can rent or buy i agree it's not a great well you buy the license what would you call it then buying the license i don't know <laughs> you buy like a, a, a term a term-based license right yeah or you buy you... it's funny because when i think about it like netflix or something although that's different but like i have it's funny i have cloud-based software that i pay a monthly fee for where i don't think of it at all the same as paying for microsoft office you know like those are even though conceptually they're actually exactly the same they feel one is like paying for an app on your phone, which I'm fine with. And one's like, hey, this used to be for free. <laughs> it's like you need to like, or not for free, but I used to just buy it once and then be done. And it's almost like you need to change how it, like Microsoft hasn't done a good enough job like changing it up so it doesn't seem like the old software. <laughs> They're kind of, their hands are kind of tied where they can't just be like, we've introduced this new service uh called like you know microsoft like i don't know like notepad or something like whatever they and then but that's like just microsoft office but online (laughs) right (laughs) or like they've probably done that but it's at the end of the day it's still the same icon like they still are tied to like but we need people to who've been using word for 20 years to think this is still the same thing so they can't it's like the curse of being established software right true yeah it's like there's so much inertia right yeah so so let me ask you this do you have any because obviously you lived at a time where you own software do you have any nostalgia for that i mean the microsoft one specifically i do because it really gets under my skin the like fee you know (laughs) like you just don't like the idea of paying it like an annual fee yeah, and like the way you get it communicated to you sucks. And it's like, oh, if you bought your laptop through Best Buy, then you have to, like, Best Buy emails you, like, FYI, we're about to charge you again. Like, you're just like, oh, great. Like, <laughs> versus, like, when it's like a nice new modern app and it's like little bubbles and colorful bubbles you're clicking on. And then, like, there's a fee somewhere, but you click on it. You know, it's like, it just is so different from like a like a mental model (laughs) i'm not sure i understand what you're talking about but (laughs) wait are you saying that if you buy if you like pay like a purchase fee for software that it like it's shinier kind like you mean so like if i pay for an app it's like like if you're like the whole like app upgrade that we're like in an app and it's like oh i can unlock this like if i pay like like somehow i feel in control of my own destiny whereas and like it's like it's like a very nice user experience where there's like all the modern you know how the app looks when you click the pay and like colors emerge and bubbles get bigger and like you know what i mean like it's just like it's like the whole thing is like this is so modern and this software is like gets it and they know what they're doing and i feel good right. paying you for this upgrade whereas with I like see, yeah. microsoft it's like this horrible experience of like you made it look kind of like the thing you used to mail me but now i have to pay for it and i get this like horrible email from best buy about it like it i don't know it feels really different <laughs> i i see what you're saying yeah no i i agree yeah it, um 
it doesn't well i think par- that's partly like our problem because we kind of bridged both worlds uh and it's like why am i paying continuously for this like old school microsoft company yeah <laughs> to, right. to like continue to write the same software that i used like 20 years ago right yeah but like that and then that's where their hands are tied because they can't not do that because no yeah, yeah yeah they have to bring on like the gajillion users that yes yeah, they just need to wait for like our generation to just Die. <laughs> I know. I I have some coworkers who used to work at Adobe, and it's the same. Like you cannot change Photoshop. Like you cannot take away a feature. Like you will get right. yeah. people with pitchforks outside your office. <laughs> like, totally. <laughs> and so it's totally, just like yeah. you can't do anything. You're like you like you end up like tweaking tiny things. Or, you know, it's yeah. Well, I think you know they created this new version of, of Photoshop for the iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, which was like a total rewrite, as far as I know. Yeah, but they um, called it something else, right? Like lights. No, they called it. No, they, no. So they had that, but then now they have like something that's actually called Photoshop. Oh, uh, but it's missing. It's missing like a ton of features, right? Um, for obvious, I think for obvious reasons, it's like they wanted to rewrite this thing for like you know a computer that wasn't designed in the fifties or whatever, right? And uh, and and they had to like start slow, so they had like most of the features, but not a lot, right? So and everyone complained, right? But I think this is the right thing to do. Like, don't touch the th- don't touch the legacy software, right? Yeah. But then like you have an excuse to like rewrite it for a new device or something like that, right? So and just commit to having two teams forever. <laughs> well, at least for a while, yeah. <laughs> and you'll have to coordinate every time there's a launch on one, you have to coordinate with the team to make sure that there's a launch on both on the same day. I think the idea would be to take the thing that's written for the iPad and then bring it and to kind of eventually merge it with the PC version. Yeah, interesting. Well, who knows? Yeah. Wish them luck. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You need something different. You need it to seem, even if fundamentally it's not different, you need it to like seem different. And I feel like that's where Microsoft like wasn't able to do that. You know, they dropped the ball on that. Yeah, I don't even know if they dropped the ball or their hands were just so tied. You know? That's true. If they made it seem different, that then like the other people would be super upset. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like it's not like they don't hire smart people. You know, but I mean, who knows? I don't know what's up with Microsoft. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so. The general point I'm trying to make is that there's like, there's been a very long kind of, and it, it actually kind of relates back to our many discussions about free software. Um, but it's kind of like this people always, not always, well, they commonly want to draw parallels between physical objects and like digital objects, right? So we talk about like intellectual property as if it were a property, right? And we, and we think we own software, like we buy software, you know, it's like we own it, right? Um, but the fact is that like the difference between like a physical object is that like when you have the physical object, it is tr- it is truly done in some sense, right? Um, and there's like you could have a bookshelf for like a hundred years or whatever and it still works, right? Um, but with software, it's like that does, it's like it ha- there's, like a, there's kind of like, a, there's always like a continuous you know, process to maintain it, to improve it, to fix it, things like that, right? Yeah. And, um, and I think the same is true for data analysis too, right? I think like you, well, I think, you know, for, I think the, like the ideal situation with software is like you, you have a, like a huge amount of upfront cost to develop it, right? And then you release it and then it costs zero to make like a million copies of it, right? And then you just, and then you just profit, right? <laughs> 
like that's the ideal scenario like the software's out there it's quote unquote done yeah it's a right? passive income like it's right a, and then yeah. you just like you just like watch the dollars roll in right <laughs> um and i think with like and i think with, like you know with like research it's kind of the same model like you know we have a, a grant we do we we put a ton of money into running a study and then we publish the results and then it's done, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. And in that sense, it kind of is done. The results might be wrong, but, you know, it's yeah. done, right? Uh-huh. And so, um, but this is going to, I know this the whole story is going to sound like very tenuous, I suppose, but it, it, it got me thinking about like reproducibility, like how, what makes something reproducible, right? And, uh, and it's like, I think the problem, I've always had trouble articulating this because I think the problem, one thing that people don't think about when it comes to like reproducibility or like, and like making data and code available is that it, it affects the financial model of how we think of like at least scientific data analysis. I don't know about other contexts, but like, so, cause like our, our basic model is that you put a whole ton of money up front, right? And then you publish the results, you make the data available, you put the, make the code available mm-hmm. and then you just walk away, right? Yeah. You walk away. No, right? I see exactly. I think you're right. I think you're exactly right. This is a good way of articulating it. But like nobody imagines that there's costs going forward, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. To to ensure, you know, either the reproducibility or that the software still works or that the data still makes sense or whatever, right? Nobody and, and nobody thinks that. Oh, well, you have to pay for that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and also, that's not how our financial model works. Like we don't, you can't get a. You're not so. <laughs> You have to pay for your incremental citations. It's like maybe you get some at first, but like eventually you really got to work for the next citation. Because like, like if they can't run the code, that citation's going away. <laughs> so like well, my point is that like this, the, so the financial model for like traditional software and for traditional research is the same, like huge upfront costs and then no marginal costs, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if you want reproducibility, same, much like we have with like subscription software, right? Then there has to be a financial model that like has continuous payment, right? Yeah. And uh, the software world has figured that out, but we have not because all of our funding comes from the government, which can't, I don't know, it has a hard time doing that, I guess. Yeah. I mean, has the... Has the software world? I guess they're much farther along. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think when you have like subscriptions, that's like that's the basic idea, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess you're right. Like they figured it out in that people have kind of migrated to subscriptions being acceptable, especially when it comes to like apps. Like, I mean, that's the thing. There was this platform change that made it such that all of a sudden, like a monthly fee for an app was like, okay, that makes sense, you know. Right. I, I agree. It doesn't make sense to everybody. <laughs> yeah. No, that's funny because, yeah, I guess if you're like people younger than me, probably the idea of like paying a one time like fee for like a CD like that, that would seem like what? Like, what are you talking about? Right. <laughs> but yeah, people who are older, it's like anyway. Yeah. It's just the typical you're old. I'm kind of old. Yeah. That's uh, right. <laughs> Many people are younger. <laughs> as time as time marches on, our our ages converge. Actually, yeah, no, it's not. It's not wrong. Yeah. Your perception of time speeds up, you know, because every year. That's right. Is, yeah. So, listen. I remember someone in college was like, "Yeah, your perception of time like moves up, you know, because every year represents a smaller percentage of your full year. So your perceptual midlife is twenty one." And I was just like no like, was, don't like, say that don't i know that. i'm still i'm like oh that's such a bad feeling i had that thought the other day where i was like yeah okay maybe like 50 years left for me and i was like but remember hillary the perceptual mid-eight it's gonna go faster than the first 21 
<laughs> I don't know why I was thinking about this. Everyone's thinking about life and death these days, I guess. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> so you got a lot of time in your apartment just to think about stuff. I know. I'm like, God, 15 more years of like this, like waking up, going to the computer, going to sleep, waking up. Like there's like, it's just like <laughs> life is so <sighs> existential crisis, you know. So yeah. we're all doing right now. <laughs> so I even have a slogan for this whole discussion. What's that? It's it, well, I stole it. It's not an original slogan, but it's it's reproducibility is a process, not a product. <laughs> it's horrible, right? <laughs> Where did you like? So you planned this discussion and like wrote that down. Like that's like. <laughs> did you start with the slogan and then like work backwards from there? In some ways, yes. Yeah. So it comes from <laughs> an old blog post. For, it was about security, software security. Uh-huh. Um, and the slogan is security is a process, not a product. Yeah. That's where, it, anyway, so that's kind of like where it started a little bit. And I started, and that's kind of like, and then I kind of went from there. Anyway. That's funny. Oh, man. I mean, you're not wrong. But I, but I kind of am, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the slogan is wrong. <laughs> Oh, man. I mean, it, yeah, that's funny because in the security setting, it sounds less cheesy. Yeah, totally. And it, it, totally, it makes more sense, too. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's, the other, that's the other benefit of that. <laughs> it's just funny, though, because, like, the reproducibility, you want it. It's such a different. It's like rare events when people even want to reproduce it, you know? Super rare in my experience. Yeah, yes. so it's just, like, kind of a bizarre cost that it's even harder, like, I'm sure when those requests come up, it's just like, damn it, I wish that person hadn't read the paper. <laughs> like, now I have to go and, like, get the code out. Like, I don't, know, I don't know that it sounds fun, you know? It's not like, oh, yeah, I'm writing this code. It's impacting lives. Like, every day I make this better, and, like, hundreds and thousands of people, their day's a little better because I made this software better. You know, like, with reproducibility, it's like one person wants to, like, challenge what i said in this paper right yeah so i guess i have to like drop everything and right. like make this jerk happy like <laughs> i actually think that um i i feel like the i i at least so i'm i'd say i'm like i'm trying to write like a review paper on reproducibility right now mm-hmm. and uh it's not going that well but i'm working <laughs> you, know, you know i don't do you ever, have you ever seen the movie uh, amadeus Oh, yes. I love that. Didn't I tell you I saw that with the San Francisco Symphony Oh, that's Live? right. Yeah, yeah. So good. Yeah, that's right. You know, at the, you know how at the end, he's like, he's supposed to be writing the magic flute, but he hasn't like written anything. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, it's all in my head, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of like how this review paper is right now. Um, but you're not like coming home drunk at like 3 a.m. Like, no, sickly. I'm not Mozart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mozart in that movie. I. It's so sad in that Creative Curve book when he's like, he actually had many drafts, and like he and Salieri were friends, and, all, and I'm right. like, oh <laughs> man, that's <sucks." laughs> none of that was true. <laughs> <laughs> like poor Salieri and poor, poor Mozart, like their legacies were trashed by that movie or by that. Play. It was a good movie, though. Yeah, it was so good, so good. Wasn't it a play first? It was a play first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was I saying? So yeah. Anyway, my point is that I feel like. My feeling about reproducibility now is that it's not so much like we need literal code and we need literal data to produce like actual, like we need to produce these results to like 10 decimal places, right? I think at the end of the day, I think what people want is they want the software 
right? So like if you built a tool, they want to use that tool too. So like you can't just have like, here's like three scripts, go figure it out, right? Um, so they want software and I think that's legit. Um, they want the data, which I also think is legit. Like, okay, make the data available, which that has its own maintenance issues too, to a certain extent, but not as bad. Um, and, and, and then, and, and so I think there is a certain amount of like, we need the details to understand like what you did for, cause there's always like a million tuning parameters and et cetera. Right. So we need those details. Right. But you can't expect that stuff to work 10 years later or, or even two years later, you know what I mean? Like that, that is not about run. That's not about like runnable, like code. And that's more like a piece of literature and so, you know, like making the code available so I can understand what you did. That's more about like the paper. Like, I don't want to like, there's no room in the paper. So like, let's have a code file so I can look at it. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but like, I don't think there should be an expectation of that. That's runnable. Like there should be software for like the abstract parts that, that are like tools. Right. Um, but like everything else that kind of stitches things together, that's more like a piece of, that's a communication device. It's not a run, it's not an executable device. I like this. No, it makes sense. And so in some ways, when you say something to reproducibility, it's like you're committing the resource of like, if someone emails asking about it, you'll answer and like work with them if they, yeah. Yeah. Cause that's like, I mean, that's like responding to emails is part of the job. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, but like, there's no financial model to like make sure that the code always runs and always produces the same numbers, mm-hmm. and and like and to like be to have provide help to like all the people who can't run your code and mm-hmm. um and it's like, you know, in some ways it's it's parallels like the issues with open source software, so I mean until we develop some sort of financial model that can support that, it's a little bit tricky, I think. Well, I mean, I also do think that that's where, like, I think if someone emailed you who was really excited and they're like, I want to build on what you did and so I want to reproduce it and, like, there's kind of this, like, feeling of collaboration and, you know, oh, like, I want to help this person because they're going to do stuff that will help me one day and, you know, it's fun and I feel good empowering them, then that can get you over that hurdle of like, oh, I have to do this extra work, but not quote unquote get paid for it. And like, frankly, that's how like business works. You know, it's just like at the end of the day, it's people prioritizing and making decisions. And some of that's based on like relationships and, you know, wheeling and dealing. And, um, but like the reproducibility, there's it's kind of like peer review. There's almost like an there can be like a real adversarial aspect of it, where it's like I don't believe you, and so I want to reproduce this to make sure that you're right, and then it's just like a bummer for everyone. <laughs> I mean, that's like almost a hundred percent of my experience. <laughs> yeah, is that people are like calling into question what you did? Yeah. So, like, it's just, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just hard to motivate sometimes, you know? Well, again, it's, like, it's kind of what's wrong with peer review, too. It's just, like, it's, like, taking what could have been fun and making it not fun. (laughs) Or it's, I don't know, it's, like, like, peer review, the way, the way, like, science, quote, unquote, should work is, yeah, it's, like, we're working in the same field and you're asking me feedback and, like, you know, what's that same with, like, knives sharpen knives or, you know, it's, like, you know, you have a good, I don't know that's saying. You know, the reason I know it is from this, like, this movie called The King of Kong about Donkey Kong, which is... Oh, I've seen that movie, yeah. One of the guys is talking about, um, what's his name, Billy something. 
Yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, he was talking about him, and he was like, I think it's a Bible verse where it's like, as knives sharpen knives, so too will I sharpen the or whatever. I don't know. Right. But, um, <laughs> so I like, I know that phrase just from that movie. So that's why I was like, I think that's it, maybe. But anyway, the point is, like, if you have a good productive working relationship with someone who's like, and you both are aligned with caring about the truth, then, like, you are getting feedback on stuff. But then somehow peer review came in and was like, now let's do that, but in this, like, formal way, and let's take, make everything anonymous. Like, it, it made it, like, bad. Like, a, I don't know, it, like, took all the fun out of it and made it bad instead. <laughs> and I get why, because you can't rely on people, like, being honest and not, like, like, having someone come in with a critical eye is good, but... It just also sucks. <laughs> I, I have to say, in my experience, it doesn't. It generally doesn't suck. Really? Um, like it's not like yeah. I, I feel like I've been pretty lucky. Yeah. Uh, in terms of my peer review experience, both for both for papers and for grants. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess so. I mean, now that I say that, also yes, and like usually, it's just nice to know someone read it carefully, right? And like has feedback at all. It's like, oh, thank God, someone read this. <laughs> But let me, so let me bring this back around though. I'm going full circle now. Okay? okay, yeah. So let's suppose like I wrote a paper five years ago, right? And there's code and there's data. It's on a GitHub repo, maybe, right? But like I haven't maintained it, so it doesn't work. All the packages are like you know who knows, right? Um. So someone comes along and says like, I saw your code. I want to do something similar, but I want to build off what you've done. Like so, I want to like get your co- I want your code to so I want to use your code, but it does not. It's not working right now, right? Mm-hmm. Don't you think that's like a moment where in reality, like like something that you, like the stuff that you did five years ago or maybe more should just be rewritten? Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, isn't that the moment where it's like, okay, we can either stick with Koval. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> or yeah. we can, you know, right? Like, uh-huh. I, I understand it's like, it's not efficient, right? It's obviously not efficient for someone to rewrite something that I already did. Yeah. Right. But the trade-off is that like, they can rewrite it in. I don't know, Python 3 or something like that, right? Um, and and then maybe those ideas, if not the literal software, can move forward, right? Yeah, for sure, yes. This is why you should retire those old R packages. <laughs> but you keep Oh, but my... You know, keep yeah. <laughs> Just to force, force people to move on, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like you're like firing up... I don't know, you're like three rabbit holes in by the time yeah. you're able to... <laughs> But this is not a mentality that I encounter very often. The like you should rewrite yeah, it. Yeah, like the idea that like why should we rewrite something that's already written? Yeah. I don't yeah, I don't I like it's like I feel like everyone just wants to do the least amount of work possible. <laughs> I don't even think no, I don't even think it's that. I think it's like there's, a, there's like a philosophical issue here. Really? Right? Which is that like yeah, like the soft like someone wrote software to do a thing, right? Like I have a like I have a right to reuse it, right? Why should I have to write it from scratch? That's so funny. I am so the opposite where I'm just like I'm just like I just want to write it myself. Like I don't want to have to deal with someone else's code. Yeah. I'm with you. I I feel like I mean, isn't that kind of like what opens the whole point of open source software is that like your things can get reused and you can understand what's going on and you know whatever, right? Yeah, like um, at some point you can't You can't rewrite everything. Yeah, you can't right? rewrite everything. Yeah. But I think, I mean, especially if there's something that's like genuinely old and by software, old software, I mean like, you know, a couple of years, right? Um, there is some... I mean, there's no way you would use that in a paper. That would be irresponsible to like 
if I was like, hey, Roger, I'm going to dust off your five-year-old R code and like run it and put those results in a paper. That happens every day. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, not not with my software, but like in general, right? I mean, oh, ouch. I mean, five years is nothing. Like there's people using like, there's, there's people out there using like numerical recipes code from yeah. like, they're like copying it from literally from a piece of paper, right? I mean, oh, yeah. So. Ouch. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's such like a, downer place i'm just like burn it all down i don't know what to tell you that's horrible (laughs) that's exactly what i was looking for (laughs) you stressed me out even more than was possible now i mean (laughs) it's like well i mean the one thing that did pop in my head a lot when you're talking about that is just put a time limit in your paper like this will be reproducible for two years and then that's ex- yeah yeah i totally agree i feel like there has to be a term yeah. a term limit uh-huh and on just, stuff like this yeah totally and like also for our packages <laughs> <laughs> also specifically for your our packages so you know i think i gave my our package like another two years of life but the next yeah. time i get an email from cran like i'm out it's it's over you should just put so. in the message now like this will be retired in two years oh do you think oh yeah so is that i guess do people do that i don't know but you can do it like i know people deprecate stuff right i mean no yeah like the like when google's retiring <laughs> i've been through this experience so many times like when google's retiring a product usually you <laughs> get an like, email every- yeah. yeah, it's like in a year and a half, we're going to like make Google Plus go away. And it's like, okay, uh, you have this much time to move your stuff off. And so you get like warning, warning, warning. I'm dealing with this right now at work, ironically. Uh, it's re- we just we just had a meeting where like we're going to ask for them to push it back. Like, <laughs> <just> like, <laughs> like migrating some, you know, technical stuff. And I was just like, I can't do it. Like, it's, it's not the time. <laughs> this <laughs> oh so yeah you can send out it'll be very responsible for as you for like an r package developer like we i'm going to retire this for like you 12 users and prepare yourself now i feel like maybe i should say like i'm going to retire this package if you're interested in maintaining it let oh me know. that's right yeah people do that people do that all the time yeah 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 all right you've inspired me yes I like no, but I like your uh, reproducibility thing. Okay, now I just have to put it on. I have to write it down. Yeah, yeah, Re- write it down and make it a lot less cheesy. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming up with a new slogan. It's a process, not a product. I mean, I think it works because security really was a product at one point. Right. Whereas yeah. reproducibility was never a product. No, it was never a thing at all. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, so you're really saying that all of the reproducibility requests you've gotten have been, like, hostile? No. Sometimes it's hard to tell. Sometimes I just kind of, like, snuffed it out a little bit. But but a lot of it has been, yeah. Hostile is a little bit strong. I mean, I think. But adversarial, maybe, yeah. Yeah. I mean, usually the emails are perfectly polite, right? Yeah. But it's just someone who... But but I know where they're coming from, yeah. Because it can't be a huge field that you're in. No, no, it's not. So you yeah, usually everybody... know who it is. It's like, oh, oh that guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, like a couple, there's a couple of organizations. There's a couple of, you know, there's some key people. And, like, everybody knows everybody. So it's, like, it's not yeah. that hard to figure out. Yeah. Uh, well, but, I mean, 
because you know that you probably know it's coming right yeah yeah for, i mean especially if you like write a high profile paper and then and then like the epa quotes it in their like you know uh regulatory decision making right like you're a you're totally a target yeah yeah okay i see yeah well in that case i mean it's like the the amount of haters you get or whatever like the amount of people trying to cut you down should be proportional to the amount of like power you have right (laughs) so if like the government's making decisions based on your analysis then like you can emotionally handle the haters because you also are doing important things. You know what I mean? Well, let's be clear. I don't think that the government's like making a decision based on my one paper. Right? <laughs> I mean, I was <laughs> like, just saying you, like yeah. the, the royal you or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, that's what I said. Like, I don't think there's nothing like actually wrong. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing that's, that's wrong here. It's just like, just as for, at a personal level, it's hard to like, motivate to get to like assemble all the stuff for people that you know are just going to write some editorial somewhere and be like you know criticizing you right like i like like that is in some ways how i mean at an abstract level that's how it's supposed to work right yeah right <laughs> but like when you get down to the details it's like i gotta spend time doing this instead of doing this other thing right? well so, yeah that's the thing it's just not it's not like a soul nourishing you know <laughs> right yeah it's just I, i'm not actually complaining i'm just saying but well i am complaining (laughs) but uh, i'm not saying that like it shouldn't be this way i guess is what i'm saying many people though are like so motivated by these adversarial interactions you know what i mean like they they end up working so much harder to like prove the other person wrong you know so it's like so this can become like like you know uh a generative cycle (laughs) Of people trying to tear each other down, which is probably how most of the world is like built, you know. (laughs) I don't know. People trying to prove they're better than someone else, and then it just like all this stuff comes out because like they it's all the materials for what they're using to prove themselves with. So it's like we we kind of incidentally benefit from that. Yeah, exactly. It's like we all benefit from other people's like you know big holes in their hearts that they're trying to fill endlessly with productivity (laughs) (laughs) i say you think of this at a much higher level than i do (laughs) well i just it's funny you know what what's interesting to me is thinking about how i immediately like put the original author in like the victim mode where it's like oh they're just trying to do a hard day's work and like get a paper out there being honest. And then these jerks come in and they like are questioning it and like being the what about guy, you know, I like, I totally had like the <laughs> cast of characters, you know, right? <laughs> I had my value judgments in there. But... But they're only, the only thing they're missing is names. And faces, right? <laughs> <laughs> we need a casting director. Yeah, exactly. But it's like, I guess it just, I mean, every once in a while you see the situation where some scientists, like, we talked about it on the pod, when I was looking through old transcripts, there was some, like, woman who, uh, it was a field like paleontology or something, like, it was an odd field, and she had this, like, blogger who just tore apart everything she did, like, in great detail, but, like, he wasn't uh scientist like he was just like a like a you know armchair or whatever 
And she, like, went off on Facebook. Like, it seemed like she was, like, drunk or something. It was just like, like, oh, F you. I, I yeah. have a PhD. Who the F are you? You know? And um, it caused a big kerfuffle. But it is, like, you feel like some people, they just, someone just, like, is trying to tear, they've projected whatever onto that person or just, like, trying to tear them down. It's, like, not even clear why at some point. It's just, like... And that is so draining, you know, it's like, like, at least in like business settings, you're like, yeah, because that one person wants my job or, you know, it's like clearer (laughs) what's going on. (laughs) The motives are more clear. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Whereas with this, it's like, I don't even get what's going on. Like, I don't know. But with the example you gave, it's like pretty clear. Like if, if, if policy decisions about pollution levels which fundamentally are related to like the economy, right? Like, yeah, and those are health. getting made. Yeah, and health. Like, <laughs> I mean, well, the economy in terms of like, how do you hold back? Like, how do you balance right, right. health versus economy? And so it's like, okay, that those are reasonable things for people to go to war over, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think yeah, exactly. I mean, I, my whole point is that like, it's like, I, and I think a lot of times, in some cases, maybe not a lot, in some cases, that has brought on like interesting debates and like and new developments and so it's not like it's totally subtractive right you know it's just um but uh it's just time consuming it's time consuming and like the positive version of it the knife sharpened knives thing is like like i have relationships at work where the other people challenge me and i challenge that you're like psychologically safe so you don't worry about like this person's not trying to cut me down it really is about the ideas there's no, we, we're on the same team. And so the ideas are stronger. And that's like the good version of this happening where it's like, I want to share the data with you. Like, can you check what I did? I, you know, it's just like a good relationship. Whereas the stuff, like, again, I think in, I think when you're talking about huge government policy decisions, like totally appropriate. But when you're talking about like some random paleontologist or whatever, it's just like, what? Like, why right. does this person have to fight this hard? You know, like, it's... A, right, it doesn't seem right, The yeah. stakes aren't right, yeah, so it's... Uh, I guess the, the issue for me is that, you know, it's not a... It's never. It's not really personal, so it's not that. Yeah. Uh, but it's also not about science. <laughs> oh well, yeah, exactly. So that's... I mean, so it's not about the ideas. It's, it's you know, it's totally political, oh, so... That's so frustrating. I mean, it's like... Well, it's like what's happening around with COVID, you know, where it's like. Well, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just I mean, like nothing is about the science. Like, it, oh, you just want to scream. We don't have time to, to yeah. go down that road. <laughs> We've all very already been recording for. A I moment. know it's like going on forever. I just need to talk. I have. This. It's always the episodes where we have nothing to talk about that were that are like the longest ones. <laughs> Well, because we're like filling time forever, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh wait, we actually got onto a topic. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> we tr- we tripped over an episode. <laughs>